Welcome back to another Beach Cop Detectives interview with the writers, cast, and crew of Terriers. This time out, we're talking to Jordan Goldman, one of the editors on Terriers, who worked on the episodes Dog and Pony, Manifest Destiny, Agua Caliente, and Sins of the Past. In this interview, we talk about specific scenes for those episodes and how he came to work with Sean Ryan, among a lot of other things. So sit back and enjoy this interview with Jordan Goldman, one of the editors on Terriers. I am speaking today with Jordan Goldman, one of the editors on Terriers. Jordan, hello. Hey, Randy. Great to be here. I want to start with a question that I've asked everyone a variation on, which is about six years down the line, what are your thoughts and memories from Terriers? Uh, I think Terriers was such a great show, and it ended before its time, and I was really, really sad when it got canceled, and I found out that we weren't going to be able to do another season. I really, really loved working on the show, and I just thought that we had phenomenal talent in front of the camera and behind the camera and in the writer's room, and it was just you know, really sad to me that we never got our audience tuned in and watching, but it's very gratifying that that all these years later, when people hear the name Terriers, uh, the folks who have seen it, they really light up and, and people still really love the show. I've, I've never actually met anybody who watched the show and didn't like it. It was always just people who had never seen it the first time around. That's been my experience as well, is everyone either knows and loves it or has never heard of it, and then they watch it, and then they love it. Yeah, so I'm delighted that it's on Netflix. Hopefully, it's going to build some momentum, and then maybe FX will reconsider you know, doing some sort of a one-shot thing, and, and we can live with these guys just one more time, which I would I'd be so happy about. You were you edited some of the last episodes. Did you guys know you had finished the whole series before the cancellation word came down? Is that true? You know, I don't recall exactly because I was in the same cutting room uh, working on another Sean Ryan project, The Chicago Code. So I don't recall, I mean, I, I remember being in that bungalow and walking over and hearing the bad news, but I don't recall if I was working on Chicago Code at the time or if I was working on Terriers at the time. I, I noticed that you were edited a number of episodes of The Shield and Sons of Anarchy. Can you tell me how you wound up coming to Terriers? Yeah, I was uh, an assistant editor on The Shield, and Sean gave me the bump up to full editor, uh, which was awesome and wonderful and for which I'm forever grateful. And I was on the shield working for Sean for another five seasons. So I was basically, I was on the shield as an assistant for two seasons and then as an editor for the next five. And I cut the finale of the shield and a whole lot of episodes and just love working for Sean. Uh, Then I worked on sons of anarchy for Kurt Sutter, who was also one of the guys on the shield. And then Sean called about terriers and I jumped on board And it was wonderful. Uh, And I've been working for Sean for a long time. So we had sort of a shorthand of the kind of stuff that he likes and how he likes to work. And he had a lot of trust in the way that I was going to put things together for him, which was really nice. And we had a lot of the same directors coming in. And it was a good place to be. A lot of TV these days, it seems like there tends to be directors who do... Uh, they're not house directors, but they're the same directors will do two or three episodes of a season or, you know, in the case of something like True Detective, it's one detect- one director, but that's rare. But Terriers, I think it had different directions on every episode, although they did have directors that you had worked with before on other shows. Was there a challenge to working with different directors and different styles or was it all sort of part of working on Terriers? I think it's a it's a fun challenge to work with people who do things slightly differently and have a different style. But a lot of the folks, you know, were people that I had cut before on The Shield or on Sons of Anarchy. You know, Guy Furland had done, I think he directed more Shield episodes than anybody else. He was on Terriers. Clark Johnson, who directed the pilot and the finale of The Shield, as well as a few in the middle. Those are the guys that I remember immediately off the top of my head who did episodes of both. You know, when 
the way that it sort of works in the industry is that the first season of the show, they're trying out a lot of different people who they know have a good reputation. And I think the second season is when you'll start seeing people come back for a repeat visit as the producers start to gain confidence and say, okay, like this person turned in a great episode, let's be sure to have them back. Usually when they're hiring people for the first season, by the time you realize that somebody's done a really great job, it's too late to get them to come back again because they've already filled up, they've already booked up the rest of their season on other shows. So second season, I think, is when you start seeing a lot of people repeat to do more than one episode or to repeat from the first season because now they know who's done work that they're really, really pleased with. And that's why you see a lot of folks who are on The Shield directing for Sons of Anarchy and a lot of the people who are on The Shield directing for Sean's other shows because he's had past experiences with them where they've done work that he liked. I noticed when you look in the credits of Terriers and then you look on to the Chicago Code and Last Resort and all that kind of thing, you see a lot of the same names. Were there a lot of people that you knew from The Shield and uh, Sons of Anarchy and that kind of thing in this production? Uh, well, I knew Sean, which was the most important thing, because he was the the showrunner along with Ted Griffin. I didn't know Ted, but I came to know Ted, and I adore Ted. I think he's he's hilarious. And I didn't know most of the writers, but they were all a lot of people that Sean had experience with, and they were all really great people. They were The writers' room was about 30 yards away from the cutting rooms, which was really great. But unfortunately, the set was all the way down in San Diego. So those of us in post-production never got to go down to the set. So the only time we would see the directors was when they came in after they were done shooting to work uh, their four days on their director's cut. So we didn't get a chance to meet the cast or to meet the crew really very much at all. So I want to cast your mind back a little bit to, to working on this. I have some questions about some of the episodes you worked on, and I will not hold it against you if there's no, if the answer is, I don't remember that. I had some questions about Dog and Pony. Okay. I heard the story from Kelly about the wiener dog that you guys were looking for a trained wiener dog. I don't know if you know this story. That they were looking for a trained wiener dog to uh, hump Mike, Michael J Raymond James' leg on command and that they <laughs> couldn't find him. So they had to sort of suggest that with editing. Do you remember that scene? Do you remember editing that together? Yeah, I remember editing that together. And I remember we had quite a bit of footage of the dog. I can't recall whether the dog actually did the deed or not, but they've got Michael Raymond James sort of under the blanket already which the way that Clark blocked it really helped suggest what we were after. And besides, you know, we weren't going to ever be able to put a shot of a dog looking at guys nuts on the air anyways. <laughs> so we didn't really need to have that piece of footage. It wasn't going to do us any good. In fact, it might've gotten people arrested. So I haven't heard that story, but I, I believe it. <laughs> Another dog and pony moment was that fight between Montel, Britt and Hank. And Donald, I talked to him and he said that hurt is he got his shoulder hurt in that in that scene. Can you talk about editing that fight together, which is just a really memorable fight scene? Yeah, there's a, the original version of that fight was about twice as long, I think. But it it was a little big and it went on a little long. And Sean really likes to get stuff to be to feel very real and in the moment and spontaneous. And so we ended up cutting the fight scene down by a bit. But when I saw the footage, I just I just couldn't believe it because it was clear that Donald was getting crap kicked out of him. And, and Montel is played by a guy who's an enormous ex-football player. Matthew Willig, yeah. Yeah, who, by the way, I think was great. And so, <laughs> so like, the fight was a little long, and, and then we cut it down. The fight scene is a, another great example of when you're editing something, you just take the very best parts of everything and put it together. You wind up with something that's really strong. There's there's an old quote that you shouldn't show the people your shouldn't don't show them all your cards you just show them your aces and I think in that fight scene by cutting the duration of it down a little bit it turned into 
an even better scene with with all the the fighting and the slamming and the wrestling. And I think it's I think it came out really great. And I felt a little bad for the stunt guys who took a few hits that didn't wind up being in the final cut. But I actually thought the the stunt guys in this series did an amazing job. Like the fight scenes, they all feel very real. Nobody feels hammy when they get hit or when they take falls. It all just feels very immediate and honest, which is something that Sean Ryan's always going for in his shows. And I think the stunt team really delivered on this show. I definitely agree with you. The, the rough and tumble of, of Terriers really needs the fights to feel real and not choreographed. And it does that while being really memorable. I have one last dog and pony question for you. And this is also more of a general question. There's a lot of great establishing shots in Terriers, whether it's the streets of San Diego, but dog and pony has this particular one of the racetrack. Yes. And you just so you see people walking around. How do you, on an establishing shot, how do you know what's too long, what's good for establishing a sense of place? How do you do that kind of establishing shot? Well, which is the, which is the shot that you like the most? Is it the one where we're on the field with the horses and they're walking around? Or is it the one where we're up in the stands and we come behind Brit to see the whole huge thing? It was the it was the shot of the horses on the field, and it was all the shot of the people sort of dressed up and, and out there, you know, watching the watching the horses. Yeah. And then you cut to... Britt and Hank coming in dressed that way and they just already don't, they're wearing the same clothes, they just don't fit in. I loved yeah. that juxtaposition. Well, we had a lot of really great shots that Clark got of the horses coming in and the riders and the people around. We just got a lot of great stuff and you know, you only need enough to just sort of set the mood and like with the fight scene, you just want to get the absolute best pieces in there and anything that's not gold, you just want to leave behind. And so I think that's sort of how we did it. The shot that I love the most in that sequence is, is when we're up in the stands and Hank and Britt are dealing with the bad guy and they're scamming him. And there's a moment where Britt turns and walks out and the camera's behind them. And you look and you're looking over the stands. You see all the people in the foreground and you see the horses on the track in the background. And I just thought that was an amazing shot. They filmed it all at that actual racetrack down in San Diego. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to ask about working in Terras in general is that because they filmed so much of it in San Diego, there was a little less set work, which probably makes the job a little bit easier and that you don't have to worry about cutting around shots that aren't fully formed. Yeah, yeah. I, I never wound up cutting a scene that took place in a location that didn't look totally real. You know, the great thing about shooting, <laughs> the great thing about shooting in an American city for an American show is that you don't have to cut around and say like, oh, there's a sign in French. We have to get rid of that. Or, <laughs> oh, the scene is supposed to be taking place in Germany. We have to get rid of the American supermarket signage because we were shooting relatively locally. It was it was great. We never had to worry about anything like that. You worked on some very memorable scenes for me. The scene in Manifest Destiny between Hank and Burke in the elevator. Oh, love that. Can you talk about what you remember about cutting that scene together? I just remember that it was the performances are really good and it was really totally mesmerizing to watch Hank tell the story. And it was really important to us to craft it in a way that the audience had no idea what was coming. So the low angle where he elbows the guy in the face, we don't use that, I believe, ever until he actually goes for the elbow, because I felt like if we cut to that, it was such a dramatic angle that it would give away that something's going to happen. The way that Ryan directed it, I thought was really great, where you're you're listening to the story and the audience is sort of in the same shoes as Burke, because you don't really understand why Hank is telling the story. But the longer it goes, the more interesting it becomes. And then finally, when he turns the table and elbows him in the face, uh, I think the audience has taken just as much as surprised as Burke is. And then they emerge into the lobby and Ryan's got the four guards standing on every corner and Brit in the middle. And, and it's really kind of scary. You think someone's about to get shot in the lobby of the building. I, I think that the performances and the directing in that scene were really great. 
And I had another similar question in Agua Caliente. It opens on the golf course and there's these great establishing shots. Like it's really low to the ground and we're watching Brit and Hank from the ground. And it's funny because it feels stylistically like terrorists. And yet in the same way, it was so different from what I'd seen before. And it also has that great chase through the country club. Yeah, I thought that scene, that scene turned out really wonderful. It was great stuff. And I liked, I love the way that Hank and Brit were sort of knocking on each other as Brit is trying desperately to make the shot, which actually sort of leads into a point that, that was often made to us, that the show was always intended to be accidentally funny. It wasn't supposed to be a comedy with occasional drama. It was supposed to be a drama with humor along the way. And it was always really important that the comedy be sort of thrown away, that Hank and Brit are making jokes along the way and maybe trying to crack each other up. But we never wanted to have to pause for these moments where one of the guys would look at the other guy and go, ha, ha, ha. Or have some sort of, you know, odd reaction to the joke. The jokes were supposed to just play along as the show went, which I think was a, a large factor in, in the charm of the show is that it's really funny, but you got to like tune in and pay attention because, you know, there's no laugh track. There's no pausing for the moments to really sell the humor. It's just happening right along the way, which is really the way that if you ever talk to Ted Griffin, that's the way he is. He says incredibly funny things all the time as just a part of a regular conversation, almost probably to amuse himself as much as to amuse anybody else that he's with. Uh, and I think that's sort of the flavor of the way that it was directed and cut. The point was, was made to us a lot to throw away the comedy. And by throw away, I don't mean like throw in the trash. I mean, just make it sort of a tossed away sort of a moment. Right. And that was something, and I don't remember who I was interviewing when we talked about this, is that Terriers does, is that in comedies, usually they're saying funny things and nobody's laughing at it. In Terriers, when they're saying things, they're trying to crack each other up. And you can see they're amused by it. And that really does make it feel more real and makes it feel more part of the world. Yeah, the motivation for the humor is is one guy trying to crack up the other guy. And the funny thing is that it, it often doesn't work. The other guy doesn't give him what he wants, which is sort of a fun, frustrating moment. And then the show, of course, can go to really dark places, as it did in Sins of the Past, which is another one that you worked on. Yeah, yeah. And Sins of the Past has some of my favorite moments in the show, not not just from a story point of view, not from an acting point of view as well, but those wipes from the past to the present. Yes, yeah. We're so well done. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that, that that's a really tricky thing to do and not lose the audience, and it never once loses the audience. Yeah. Tucker Gates directed this one, and he did a really good job. It was written with all of those transitions in mind. So it wasn't something that in editorial we went, oh, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we dissolve from this to that in the middle of the shot? It was all scripted out in the original script. And then they did a lot of really intensive work on set to make sure that the effect was going to work. You know, it's mostly handheld camera. So the camera operator had to repeat the same action twice. For example, there's a great shot where the camera follows Hank and Gustafson into the observation room where they look at the lineup. And when it goes into the room, you see that Hank and Gustafson are already in the room. They're looking at a lineup and it's taking place in the past. So the camera operator had to repeat the same motion at the same time. He had to do multiple takes where every time the camera work was almost exactly the same with the actors in the same place in the frame so that we could easily use visual effects to dissolve from one version of the scene, one take of it, the present, to the past, which would be a different take. So my hat's really off to him. He did an amazing job with that. And I, I think the transitions, they work really, really well. And they really are very clear in terms of what time you're in and what time you're coming from. I got to give a lot of credit to Tucker, 
who directed it and for the way that it was written because all of this stuff was pre-planned. Terry's was not heavy on montage, but there were occasional ones. Was there ever anything where you had something that you changed from the scripting or was it all sort of usually pretty heavily scripted and you were just kind of following, following that through line? It's usually very heavily scripted and we follow in the through line. I mean, there's occasionally scenes that get dropped. Like in that, in that episode, Sins of the Past, there was a sequence where Whitman is having a party at his house and Hank drives up and parks outside and is watching the party and he's drinking and he's got a gun and then it cuts to black. This took place in the past. And so it suggested to the audience that maybe Hank did plant the stuff in Whitman's car that night. So that scene was eventually deleted. All of these episodes usually wind up with a scene, a couple of scenes deleted, but generally on Terriers, it was you know very smooth. It's all very well planned out and thought out. And when you delete a scene, it's usually because it was slowing the show down or because it looked great on paper. But then when you put it all together, you realize you just didn't need it to tell the story. And ultimately, the episode is better without the scene of Hank watching Whitman's house because it leaves more open the possibility that Hank did or didn't do what he's accused of by Gustafson, which is planting the rape kit in his car. So by not seeing him outside the house, it sort of lends more credibility to Hank's uncertainty of whether he did it or didn't do it. Right. This brings up to me a uh, one of the great injustices of the universe, which is that Terrors is not on Blu-ray. If such a thing were to happen, are those deleted scenes gone forever, or is it the kind of thing someone might be able to put together? Well, usually what we do at the end of the season is we, we put together a whole list of the deleted scenes, and we put them all on a DVD, and we because this was the days when we were doing things on DVD, and we give all that stuff over to Sean Ryan, and then in the course of making the DVD box set or the Blu-rays, he would decide which deleted scenes he liked. And then he would often do a record a commentary track for the DVDs. If you go back to look at the old box sets of The Shield, you'll find all of these scenes on there where he talks about why the scene was cut out or how good the actors were and how bummed he was that he had to remove the scene. You know, he's very appreciative of the work that everybody on the crew and in the cast does. And these sort of things, would you, that's usually what he would do with the deleted scenes is he would put them there if he felt that they were good enough to make the final cut that way. So you're saying I need to talk to Sean that he might have those somewhere and we need to get those Blu-rays done. Look, I've been saying we got to get these Blu-rays for years. <laughs> uh, and I think Sean's been saying it too. Unfortunately, he's not the guy with full control. Well, maybe if enough of us say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, final question for you. Do you have any specific moments or challenges you remember when you were working on the show? You know, when you guys talk about sins of the past, uh, when you do your commentary with whoever you do, it's interesting to notice in that episode that Britt is repeating Hank's pattern of tracking down a man who wronged his, his wife or his female partner. He's repeating Hank's mistakes, and Hank is warning him in the whole episode to not repeat the mistakes, and yet Britt does. And it comes to the logical, obvious only conclusion that it can, which winds up with you know the end of the series being what it is. But I think that's really one of the brilliant things about the way Tim wrote that episode is it's all about Brit repeating Hank's mistakes and we're watching Hank's mistakes unfold at the same time that we're seeing Brit's mistakes unfold. And Hank is the only guy with the bird's eye view to see what's coming down the road and how bad it is because he's been there and he knows. And I, I think that's something that's really great about that episode. We have recorded the episode and I'm glad we did notice that. I did talk about that because, yeah, it's really, really impressive. Can I tell you about an, another wonderful moment in one of the episodes that I just think is so fantastic? Yes, please. There's this great moment at the end of episode two, Dog and Pony, the first episode after the pilot, where Montel reunites with Agatha 
and Hank is watching them and Agatha jumps into Montel's arms and wraps her legs around him and they're so happy to see each other. And then there's this shot of Hank watching them standing by the truck where Donald Logue just absolutely breaks my heart as he watches these two people who are so in love and have such a future together. You can see everything that his character has been through on his face and his longing to have this back with his own ex-wife and, and, and how he knows it's not going to happen, but just this longing on his face. I just think the performance there is incredible. And Donald was killing it all season. All these guys were, but for me, like that's the moment that describes his character so perfectly. And he absolutely nailed it. And I think that he didn't get the credit that he deserved as a really phenomenal actor until the show came around and, and the work that he put in on the show, I just think is astounding. And I, I just want people to appreciate it the way that I appreciate it. Having, you know, watched his dailies and seen take after take after take like that moment to me is so fantastic. I love it. I love it to this day. I totally agree. It's like one of the things I, I, I interviewed Donald this last week and we talked for like an hour. That guy's such a great giving guy. And I asked him about that because Hank wears that heartbreak on his face. Just, Every time he's talking to Gretchen, even when they're joking around, you see that that heartbreak is just there all the time. It's so amazing. It's all just actor's work. And that I don't know if you've seen the artwork that uh, Nate Bliss has been doing for our podcast. I've seen some of it. He did that moment. Uh, that was our that was our art for episode two. Was uh, was Agatha leaping up onto Mon- into Montel's arms? That was like the moment that he that we used. Oh, fantastic! Because yeah, it's such an iconic moment. I love that moment so much. It's it's still on my reel. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much I love it. It's so great. It's so emotional and wonderful. Oh, this is great. I'm looking at this new art that he's got up here. It's so awesome. Yeah, he's been he's been killing it. He's a buddy of mine, and he just he just sort of volunteered for this. He's been doing the black ink wash work, and then Grant, my producer, does all the colors. And yeah, that's turned out to be a nice little uh, little bonus on there. So. Oh, these are so good. Oh, there it is. That's the one. I see it. I see it right there. It's great. Yeah. Well, I was going to say one of my one of my favorite moments in the whole season is episode 104 in Manifest Destiny that Ryan directed, there's that wonderful moment where they take Lindis's town car and they push it down the cliff with him in it. And they stand on the ravine and he's got that low angle shot looking up at the guys and they wait and they wait and they wait. And Hank realizes that Britt's waiting for something. He turns to him and says, what are you waiting for? Were you thinking that it would explode? And Britt does says, well, kind of, yeah. And it's that great moment. And then you sort of half expect the car is going to explode because he said that he's waiting for it to explode and nothing happens. And I, I think that's just a, such a wonderful moment. I think the whole show is just full of like these great moments between these two guys that feel so real and wonderful and you, you can't predict them. And the chemistry between them was so great. The chemistry between all the actors was great. I just think this was a fantastic show. I could just go on for hours and hours about how I wish it would come back because I just loved it so much and I loved working on it. And I, you know, everybody who's ever seen it loves it. So, you know, fingers crossed something could happen in the future. I keep hoping we, uh, we tried to get them to commit to a movie at the ATX fest and there was a suggestion that they all would love to do it if we could make the world happen. So maybe someday. God, boy, I hope so. Thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Randy. It's my absolute pleasure. And I I just want to thank everybody who's watched the show and and kept it alive all these years later and keep putting it on the lists of things everyone should watch. Uh, You know, we really appreciate your support.
Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tayan. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Paul Tayan. Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.